Progressive Rugby League is go, 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 go. Progressive Rugby League. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast, another edition. It's John O'Duncan here, sitting in, in the host chair for the slug. And sitting beside me is my good friend, Big Al. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. And today I will be sitting in Jono's usual chair. <laughs> so my chair is currently free. It's a free chair. It's free now, chair. I've already failed at podcast hosting 101 because I do not have prepared for today an Easter pun, an Easter-related pun. And I know uh, the slug... He would have crucified me. Yeah, I know. That's pretty unacceptable as well. (laughs) Very good, very good. Now, look, it's been a massive weekend, and we normally start with our reflections. Um, Now, I've had a sneak peek at your reflections, and for some reason, there is a a severe absence of the Parramatta Eels smashing the Tigers by 45 points. So, before we get to reflection, I know you're at the game there at the new stadium, Western Sydney Stadium, between the Eels and the Tigers. What was it like? Uh, yeah, so I did go to the game. I was so excited about this game. I trekked all the way out to um, to Parramatta to see the new stadium. Results of the game aside, the stadium is fantastic. Mm, like the, looks the angle of these seats are just incredible. It's like being at the um, like the, the tip of the Big Dipper on a roller coaster as you go down. Like it really just wow. feels like you're on top of the crowd. It's fantastic. Food, you know, is, is really good, and like um, queue, wait times in queues was good. Mm-hmm. Transport was pretty good for Sydney, but um, you know, if it had my way, that just would have built the stadium on top of the train station. <laughs> but I guess we can't do that. <laughs> it's um, not too far. It's five minutes, right? <laughs> it's, it's more like twenty. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But still, good. Uh, yeah, great stadium. Uh, about time Sydney had something that sports fans of all codes, mm. not just rugby league, can feel um excited about and proud of and that's definitely one of them the game itself yeah wow incredibly embarrassing wasn't it <laughs> it was probably better for me to have witnessed an absolute shellacking like that rather than like a tense loss well i mean that's what you keep saying every week i was, I was going to touch on this because every every week whenever the tigers lose in that one of those tense games where they should have won you're yeah. like i would have preferred they got smashed by 40 and yeah it's actually true yeah, it actually it was true so about when it got to 36 to 6 mm. I was like alright fine and that was still like 35 minutes of the game to go I was like alright cool that's done nothing's happening here yeah. let's just have some fun with this and sure. that was really um, applauding like because Parramatta were just on that day mm. everything was going their way they had the they, the all of the momentum pie was theirs Ooh, yeah. there was just no pie for the Tigers uh, and, and it was fine like it was a Parramatta home games and it was Parramatta's first home game at that stadium so there was they were giving out flags and everything yeah. there was like 25,000 flags being flown wow. I flew a flag for a while I applauded all the Parramatta tries and Parramatta players and you know what I'm a big Parramatta fan Parramatta is an incredibly important club to the game uh, in Sydney and to the country because mm. they're so big and powerful and they're just they're like the sleeping giant like once yeah. once they wake up the west side of the city just burns down with excitement yeah so if it can't be the Tigers it lights up instead of burns down well metaphorically it, it well, okay, fine. It lights up. It lights up because it's burning down. Right. Um, and so, look, if it can't be the Tigers, and it seems like it never can be the Tigers, mm. I'm glad it's Parramatta. So, mm. well done to Parramatta. Geez, 51 to 6 is pretty, it's still pretty tough to take when I think about it, but it was it was a good, fun day. And I went there with a Parramatta fan 
Parramatta, a friend of mine who's a big Parramatta fan. Yeah. And it was one of those games where, like, he, he, there was just nothing to, like, stick it to me about it. Yeah. Like, it was just all, it was all Parramatta. Was consolation. Yeah, so go to Eels, go Rugby League, um, pick up your game, Tigers, by the way. Well, the Tigers, they were the perfect cast guests, weren't they? They came in for the, the party, and they just, like, let Parramatta show off their skills. Good on them, I yeah. say. Yeah, exactly. So the Tigers, they, they, they can see the greater good. And they, they scored probably the world's earliest um, consolation try in the history yeah. of rugby league. <laughs> Did you see the After look, about 30 look, minutes, it was 30 to 6. The look on Ben Madalino's face when he scored that try was like, <laughs> it's almost like one of shame. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we, should, we right. don't deserve this try at all. Like, he just looked up like he had no idea what, what had just happened. Yeah. He looked embarrassed to have scored. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Well, I'm glad we got to that. I'm glad we got to that game because as a Parramatta fan, I just couldn't let it go. <laughs> Very excited. Good performance. They're looking good. Anyway... Why don't we start off with some reflections? What you got for us this week? So those that follow the Progressive Rugby League podcast Instagram account would have seen that a couple of days ago I posted a shot of a book that I found at a holiday house I was staying in up the central coast of New South Wales. I was uh, perusing the bookshelf. I forgot to bring any reading material with me. Mm. So I was looking at the bookshelf of this holiday house I was staying in and all of a sudden this name stood out to me. Roy Masters. Whoa. I, was, I was like, you're kidding. The this, Roy Masters. This can't be the Roy Masters. This has got to be some, you know, just random author from wherever that has written yeah. some book about Ray something. Ray Masters. Yeah, whatever. I must yeah. have just misread it. I'm having a, a, a mirage <laughs> wandering through the rugby league desert and I found an oasis of Roy Masters. Uh, and I pulled it out and I saw the, the title of the book was Inside League and it was indeed a book by the one and only Roy Masters. Fabulous. So this is a, a, a paperback tome uh, written by the one and only Roy, Roy Masters. It basically just it gives a bit of a backstory. It's written in 1990. It oh, gives okay. a bit of a backstory to some of the key players in the rugby league at that time and from the last sort of mm. 15 years before that. So we're talking Arthur Beetson, Les Boyd, Mario Fennick, Jack Gibson. Uh, there's some Wally Lewis stuff in there. Yeah. I think there's probably about 10, uh, 10 I don't want to call them short stories, but 10 pieces in that book altogether. Yeah. Um, I didn't get through the whole thing because I was at the beach uh, for a long time. But as I was reading it, some things, there's two things that really stood out to me. And one is just an example of how, you know, like the more things change, the more they oh, stay the same. Tell and me so that. just like, I'm going to read you an example of some, of some of the problems that rugby league was facing in the late 70s. Crowds declined. Number of junior teams fell. South Cronulla and Newtown could not pay their players in full, and other clubs were threatened with bankruptcy. There are other compelling reasons why Credibility in the Game suffered innuendo concerning referee performances, and a powerful management cartel which made mutually beneficial decisions, along with pay TV, pay a lot. <laughs> so, do they not sound like the exact same problems that are being written about rugby league today? And I guess every other day for the last mm, 100 years. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you get the same crises pretty much every second year, don't you? Yeah. Well, when it comes to referees every year. It's it's just outstanding. So, I mean, it really just did highlight to me, well, nothing actually ever changes, <laughs> does it? It's, it's the same it's the same storylines, just yeah. with different characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, but outside of that, there was one patch, patch that I came about that just, I really like the way Roy Masters writes. Like, because he's, he's in the Sydney Morning Herald every couple of days. I always look mm. out for a, Master, a Roy Masters article. It's always... Erudite. A little bit deeper than most of the, than, than just your general match reports. Yeah. Um, so just this one one paragraph stood out to me is just I, li- I like the way he writes about sport. And I quote: <laughs> "A footballer's career can be measured in needles. Each year, the invasions of his body increase. Some syringes pierce and probe, delivering pain maskers and inflammation reducers. Others deliver steroids, a drug which will increase body size but can later damage to liver, kidney, arteries, and testicles." Some needles drain fluid from swollen knees and other joints. Most footballers loathe needles, even though they know the pain is delivered in order to ease other pain. After the game, the sedated muscles and joints begin their electric tingle back to life. 
yet a player will accept all of this just to run onto the field and keep his place in the team. Wow. I just really liked uh, I liked that. He's he's quite a right at the yeah, moment. He's un- like... We, he's been around for decades, and we value him, but you forget how good he is sometimes. So. Also, like he's, he's the author, the creator of one of the great rugby league uh, stories of all time, the Fibros versus the Silver right, That is Roy Master's genius right there. Yeah. And he's done it all. Uh, I'm assuming he played, but at least coaching, writing. That's right. Yeah, so well done, Media Roy. Figure. And you know what? Thank you for what otherwise threatened to be a boring weekend. <laughs> Um, it was really good sitting on the beach reading some Roy Masters brilliance. Loved it. Well, thanks for bringing that to light. When you mentioned that you were reading that over the weekend, it got it made me remember actually a book that I came across thanks to my lovely sister uh, over the Christmas break. She bought this for me from an op shop, an opportunity shop, and it's actually I see your 1990 Inside League book, and I raise you how to play rugby league. From 1964, oh, ladies and gentlemen. What is this constant game of one-upmanship here? All right, who's, who's written this one? Well, this is actually written by a few people, including including Dave Brown, official immortal, one of the like 12 immortals of Australian Rugby League, who also played for Warrington, by the way. So this is like a instructional kind of thing, trying to encourage kids to play and parents to make their kids play Rugby League. In 1964, there's a photo of Johnny Raper on the front, I believe, there. And it's kind of, yeah, an instructional. I'm just going to read the back of the book and just going to... Let's, let's think about how things have changed over the years. Okay. okay. So, rugby league, the most popular sport in the eastern states of Australia, yes, is a game of opportunity. Yes. Mm-hmm. It provides the maximum in enjoyment for the player, whether he be an international champion or the youngest schoolboy. Let's put she and schoolgirl mm-hmm. as well. Whatever, isn't it? Uh, it provides a thrilling spectacle, yes, for th- thousands of spectators each weekend, and it is a sport which has the honour of having Her Majesty the Queen as its patron in England and the Duke of Edinburgh as the patron of Australian Rugby League. I've looked this up. Uh, the Queen Elizabeth is no longer the patron of Rugby League in England. I you know who is? Uh, I do, actually. It's Prince Harry. It's Prince Harry. So Queen Elizabeth was the Queen mm, in yeah, 1964. Like, I, I don't want to get too political in here, but that's, that was token. She did not care at all. <laughs> well, she yeah, obviously during her reign, she just like palmed it off <laughs> yeah. to Prince Harry. She said, I'm not doing no, this. No, actually, she anymore. officially handed it over to Prince Harry when she became too uh, like frail, too elderly to officially uh, do patron duties. Oh, she's doing, she's doing a lot so of other patron duties, ladies know, and gentlemen. Well, I don't know what patron duties she carried out. But I also, I'm not particularly happy about it going to Prince Harry because we all know he's a union he, man he through does not, and through. He does not love rugby no. league, that's for sure. Now, rugby league has always been known as a man's game. Well, no, it's also a women's game. But it's also a game for boys, well, and girls, and a very good game at that. Yes. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> this book should give a greater appreciation of the finer points of our sport, and I commend it to all interested in rugby league. And throughout the book, there's a, a number of different chapters. I'm just going to quickly go to one which is the second chapter called Look After Your Football Gear! Exclamation point. Here we go. Use clean socks for every match. Don't let them fall down during a game. It looks untidy and could, could spoil your kicking. Also, it gives the other team something easy to hang on to. Not sure how. Uh, a hole in your sock could lead to a blister and hamper, hamper your play. Have them fixed. Shorts should be well adjusted. They should fit the waist and so they are comfortable and don't need hitching. If you run out on the field looking good, You'll help yourself and no doubt impress the other side. <laughs> it's all about impressing the other team. Oh, yeah, exactly right. So there so you go. Make sure you. So that means that that's basically telling players away with your personal superstitions. Mm. Like I know a lot of players don't wash things if they win, and they mm. even me. Like if I I have a, a classic Balmain Tigers jersey I wear to games. Yeah. Is they, if they lose, I wash the crap out of that. Thing. Yeah. If yeah. they win, I keep the winning juju on there. That no no yeah, way. So use clean socks for every game. There you go. Okay. 
Don't there forget. Don't hitch the shorts. Does hitch mean pulling them up? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay. Something like that. Now, my reflection this week, uh, getting onto my reflection, is I want to talk about how contrast amplifies our sensations, Big Al. You know, Big, when you go on a scenic bushwalk on a cloudy day, and there's the lakes and the valleys, and it's all good. It's nice. But as a friend once said to me, nice is for cakes. When you're on that walk and the sun comes out, wow, you go from nice to spectacular. You know, the bright blue of the sky, the lush green of the valleys, the sparkling shimmer of the water. It gives you shivers, man. Your senses are amplified from that contrast, you know, from the monochrome to the endless palette. And this happened to me over the weekend in both the NRL and the Super League. Now, on Good Friday, I watched the doubleheader, Dogs Rabbits, into Storm Roosters. Now, the Dogs Rabbits game, that was the cloudy day. Look, mm-hmm. it was rugby league. It was nice, but it was, <laughs> it was pretty drab. It was forgettable. Then came the Storm Roosters, right? Top of the table, last year's grand finalists, and boy, did the sun come out. Brilliant running rugby league, exceptional skill level, seesawing battle, cracking finish. I mean, the contrast between the two games made the sensation of the second game even stronger. I was mm. buzzing after that game. And as you know, Big Al, I don't buzz. No, you don't. <laughs> it's now rare. The, it's rare. The same thing happened uh, with the Super League. Now, I, I consume most of my Super League via the wireless, mostly via the BBC commentaries, you know, from BBC Homberside or Merseyside, Cumbria, Leeds, Manchester, London and the rest. You know, I, I love going for my morning stroll to work or a weekend run with a bit of Super League in my ear holes. Now, that's ear holes. Now, first up for me was the Super Baby Cup, London and Catalan. Now, we'll get to, to that later on. But as usual, the Beeb did a great job in capture, capturing the atmosphere, or in this case, lack of atmosphere. Now, we love the London Broncos and can't wait to get there to watch a, a game in July, but this seemed to me the lowest of low-key games. It sounded like the commentators were talking in a hushed tone as not to disturb the quiet ambiance that was out there at, at Trailfinders. So that was the cloudy day. It was nice, but nicest for cakes. Then came the Hull Derby, right? And I had to put my shades on even though I was listening at night. It was just an incredible atmosphere. It burst through the speakers. I was transported right there, particularly at the start of the game before the, the scoreline blew out. It sounded like the most amazing world-class atmosphere. I've, I had goosebumps listening to this. Mm. And, you know... Once again, I think the contrast between the, two, between the two atmospheres made the second one seem like it was like super planetary. You know, it was just incredible. And it, you know, it just made me think, next time, we always complain when there's a dud game. You're like, oh, this is dull and there's no great skill level and, you know, it's boring, whatever. We should really be thankful because the next time we see a great game, you're going to get that extra bounce. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's almost like holidays, right? Like you complain about work. And then you go on a holiday. Yeah. It's so amazing oh, because yeah. it's not work. Exactly. And it almost makes the, the you know, the, the drudgery of working most of your most of your most of your life yeah. worth it to go on that like short spell of, of, of being on holidays and being able to do what you want. I yeah. totally understand. I, I yeah. think yeah, the wonderful reflection. Oh, thank you, sir. Insi- and, and the, insightful as always. And the other side of that is when you go on a holiday and because work's okay, right? Yeah, you, it's come, fine. you come back to work and work on that first day back it feels like the worst thing you're going back to jail <laughs> help how am I going to do how am I going to get out of this I need to find a way to survive without getting paid and you know so yes it's very interesting the contrast really makes a difference before we move on to the mailbag other big news that's just come to hand <gasps> the end of Gus Gould Panthers mm. wow yeah that's pretty news. big yeah it is very big news I, I, wonder, mean, I wonder if he's going to move on to another club well, there are rumours that the Sharks uh, were circling, but yeah. um, I'm not sure they could afford him, really, could they? Like, yeah, I mean, it all depends. I don't, I don't know if Phil Gould is motivated by money. I think he's, he's genuinely motivated by a love for the game, I think. I'd agree so, with that. 
whether he wants to continue working on, I'm, I'm not sure. He's, he's got enough media commitments as it is. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of postmortems on his time at Penrith. I think, you know, overall, a very quick analysis. I think he's done a, you know, a decent job, a good, not great job. Okay. Um, he didn't win a premiership, but he did a lot of good things. You know, they turned the ship around, got the community behind the Panthers. Uh, commercially, they were, they were pretty strong under his tenure. Um, and they were pretty competitive on the field, if not going all the way. So, how, people, how long has Gould's been there for what? Eight, nine, eight years, nine years, I think. Years? I reckon, they, what have they made? Seven out of nine final series so. under that, which yeah. is, like, I would kill for that. <laughs> Please give me anything close to that would be amazing. So, so a, lot, a lot of people will point to the fact that he had a five-year plan and they never won a premiership and all that sort of thing. Oh, but, well, like, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Winning secondary, right? Exactly. Even, but I would say he has he he fixed up like junior pathways. Um, yeah. He got all the funding for that centre of excellence, which is like when you compare what the Panthers have to a lot of other Sydney clubs, is just yeah. it's it's pretty outstanding. Um, and commercially as well, they're they're now a powerful club, whereas before that probably weren't. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if it was the was it the ultimate revenge of Ivan Cleary? You know, when we were last year, when Ivan Cleary was on the way to the Panthers, we were mm-hmm. thinking, why would you go back there? You got sacked by this guy three years ago or whatever it was why on earth would you go back there do you think he had this it was just the revenge of the clear he's like it, yeah it's, uh, it's it's pretty interesting because i remember during that whole time as well well yeah everyone was thinking especially us mm. yeah why would you go back there what's feel good thinking and it turns out feel good wasn't thinking anything he had nothing to do with <laughs> yeah, that decision right. it was done behind his back because yeah. feel good had basically recruited wayne bennett well, apparently, and imagine yeah. now, like i know it's really early days in the season but yeah. the way the panthers are traveling you'd have to and the way south are traveling mm. With with Bennett and and the Panthers with Cleary, mm. do you wonder if if uh, Dave O'Neill, I think that's the the CEO's name, had not recruited Cleary outside of Gould and actually allowed Gould to recruit Bennett, mm. would the Panthers be having the, the successful year that they everyone S- tipped them to have? Not sure. Sliding doors, sliding doors, indeed, my friend. That's the uh, the drama of rugby league. Yeah, but got Gus Gould, like yeah, a very well divisive figure in a way, but uh, you know. Provides plenty of entertainment and plenty plenty of things to talk about. Okay, well, that's uh, our reflections for the week. So after reflections comes the mailbag. The mailbag! I mean, let's get it on in letter-writing form. Let's get expressive. Let's get progressive. It's PRL mailbag time. So first up, Matt and Hugh, who I think uh, we used to hear from back in the day. He's one of our original... Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it actually pronounced Matt and Hugh? Matt and Hugh, it might be. He wrote to us, so it's great to hear from you again, Matt and Hugh. He says, hello, gents. Just your friendly neighbourhood English teacher here, marvelling at a tremendous pie analogy. I look forward to presenting your segment on Momentum, which not only uses the belief pie analogy, but also includes a belief pie analogy mixed poetically with the belief bubble bursting into the deflation of said belief pie bubbles to mortal levels. That's a terms planning done, exploring this majesty. Keep up the good work. And he signs off, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, which was, if, for those who don't know, was a kind of a 90s US sitcom. Yeah. And I don't remember much about the sitcom, but I do remember the theme song. Uh, it was officially a spin-off of Full House. Is that because right? Because there was, an, I think, episode one or two, uh, Michelle from Full House was one of his students. Oh, is that And in right? that episode, the students played up a bit too much and got Mr. Cooper in trouble. So then Danny Tanner brought Michelle Tanner uh. to Mr. Cooper's house to have her apologize. And the apology was a rhyming, a little, a cute little rhyming thing. And the end, the, there was an end joke about him falling on his butt at the end. Duh. I was like, uh, actually, this is so embarrassing. I remember that. <laughs> 
We had so much fun in class. I'm sorry that you hurt your tushy. Uh, that was the joke at the end. Yeah, so, very good. Yes. Have mercy. Now, I do remember the theme song, and there was a line in there that Mr. Cooper had a PhD in personality, and I think Matt and Hugh, you probably have the same after that, so thank you very much. We also heard from former Irish international and friend of the show, Declan Foy. He got in touch and said, another great episode, further highlighting Rugby League's secret secret obsession with baking. Four-point meat pies, West Magpies, Wigan Pie Eaters, Halftime Peas and Pies, and now talk of the Momentum Pie. I guess it's a, a case of, in Rugby League, we crust. <laughs> yes, very good. Not only yes. is that a wonderful creative contribution, but it's proof positive that at least someone is making it to the end of our show. <laughs> now, we, we, also, we also heard from another listener from Ireland and another with the last name Foy. Okay. Yeah. Des Foy, who uh, I'm guessing, I've looked into this, is likely to be Declan's father. Um, now, Des, Declan is obviously a former Irish international. Des is a former Great Britain and Ireland international, playing for the Lions in, the, I think, the late 80s or early 90s. He played a lot for Oldham, played 200 games or so for the Oldham Club, and was signed for the Newcastle Knights, I think, in the early 90s. So that's Des Foy. He got in touch and said... He was playing limited contact rugby league with a 35-year-old Central Queensland Capra's jersey. He asked, would that qualify for some rugby league hipster points, progressive rugby league? I, I mean, I think he was playing Eurotag or tag the ball variety mm-hmm. rugby league, you know, the cross league that we discussed a couple of, couple of weeks ago, which is my favourite type of um, touch rugby league. Uh, and look, I think that in our book, we'll have to ask the rugby league hipster what his thoughts are, but in our book, you get extra points wearing a jersey that has circa 180 degrees from the climate that you're playing in. If you're playing in Ireland and wearing a jersey from Rockhampton, double, triple points. So thanks, Des and Declan. Uh, fantastic to have your company. Uh, we also heard from Carsten from Switzerland. Now, Carsten, the Swiss cowboy, he actually wasn't in Switzerland over the weekend. We were discussing on Twitter, I was saying how excited uh, we were to experience our first Easter weekend in the UK since we started, you know, going steady with the Super League and the Championship. And Carsten sort of shared um, his epic uh, Easter weekend uh, excursion. He was, went to Castleford versus Wakefield on Thursday night, Lees versus Hudders- Huddersfield on Good Friday. He had uh, Amateur Rugby League in East Leeds on Saturday, a Women's Rugby League on Sunday, and to Odsall uh, on Monday for Bradford versus Barrow. So well oh, done, wow. what a Carsten. My goodness gracious me. And, of course, we also heard from... Ian East from Leeds, or Ian from East Leeds, he got in touch and asked, or he said, Progressive Rugby League, be interested to know the progressive impact of Parramatta's new ground. How did ticket prices compare with the old ground and temporary home at Homebush? It would be interesting to see a comparison with other Sydney clubs and other sports in the city, and also take into account medium income, living wage, etc. He says, "Uh, my Leeds season ticket is in the only remaining undeveloped part of the ground and is the cheapest available at £150 on a terrace. That equates to $273. Uh, Leeds United Football Club, a soccer club, in comparison, is £349 or $635 Mm -hmm. in a seat. And he says Huddersfield is the cheapest in Super League at £139 or $253 in a seat. Now, I've done a bit of an analysis for you here, Ian. I've looked at a comparison of general admission tickets for NRL games in Sydney and other sports across Sydney. So uh, let's go through it. So firstly, I must say that I think Ian's coming from from the side as a Leeds supporter. So what's happened in Leeds over the last year or so, they've had uh, the new stand built. It's been like a, a bit of work done to Headingley. 
And because it's owned by, I think, um, the Headingley Cricket Club and also the, the Rugby Club there, there's been a bit of a, a price hike in tickets to help pay for the, the construction. So it's been a bit of murmuring mm. around Leeds. But this, in this case, um, the Western Sydney Stadium has been built by the government. It's, yeah. it's not owned by Parramatta. And so it's owned by the people. It's owned by the people, and it's operated by the government as well. So I looked into this. Um, so the Parramatta Dragons game in a couple of weeks will be twenty-seven dollars fifty for general admission, uh, the cheapest general admission ticket, and it'll be fifty dollars for a family. And it goes all the way up to seventy-one dollars for the gold ticket if if you need to. Now compare that to the Tigers versus Cowboys game at Leichhardt Oval down in a few weeks' time. That's thirty dollars for an adult ticket on the hill. So the Parramatta, the, the Parramatta game at Western Sydney Stadium is cheaper in a seat than going on the hill at Leichhardt. Uh, South Broncos game is $20 for general admission. So that's a game in, I think, a couple of weeks or, or coming up. Uh, the Bulldogs-Cowboys game this week is $20 for one adult and a free kid. Yeah, uh, that's, that's very affordable, that's but very I, I think that's, that's going to be a really low-drawing game. So they're just mm-hmm. trying to, to do a promotion there. Elsewhere, the Roosters-Tigers game at the SCG, that's the cheapest general admission ticket is $29. So, once again, more expensive than the Paramount Dragons game. Uh, and then elsewhere, you, you go to the Swans versus Giants at the SCG, so the AFL, the cheapest general admission is $35. Uh, you go to Western Sydney Wanderers, the A-League soccer team at ANZ Stadium, so Homebush, their cheapest general admission is $35, which is surprisingly high. From uh, I was expecting a bit cheaper from them. GWS, the AFL team, the cheapest ticket is $25. And the Sydney Kings basketball team, the cheapest ticket, general admission is $15. So besides Sydney Kings, which is, you know, quite cheap, there's not a huge disparity. So it's what, 20 to 30 bucks is, is pretty much. Cool. I mean, yeah. 20 to 35. <clears throat> I think. A couple of outliers. That's right. That's right. So so that's one side of the, the coin. The other side of the analysis I'm going to do is looking at um, season tickets between NRL and the Super League clubs. Mm-hmm. So Ian East from Leeds, or Ian from East Leeds, mentioned that um, a ticket, a season ticket at Leeds costs £150. Now, that equates to $273. Uh, if you look at the Parramatta Eels at Western Sydney Stadium, it costs $299. That's the cheapest package. So 273 versus 299 But you need to take into account wages. <laughs> so Ian helped out... <laughs> And said that the uh, the minimum wage in the UK is eight pound twenty one, which equates to about fifteen dollars an hour. So, mm. which is less than the minimum wage in Australia, which is nineteen dollars an hour. So, what this means, it takes eighteen point two hours at a minimum wage to buy a season ticket at Leeds, and it takes fifteen point seven hours at the minimum wage to buy a season ticket at Parramatta. So, basically, according to this very rough analysis that I've done. It's more affordable to go to rugby league in Sydney, in Australia, than it is to go in the UK. Mm. And it's kind of it's kind of true. When I've been looking at uh, casual tickets, you know, for London Broncos and Leeds as well, and they're about twenty three, twenty four pounds, which equates to about forty bucks. Uh, that they're the cheapest tickets I could find. So that's more expensive than than going to an NRL game. So I mean, there's probably a, a number of reasons for that. Um, but yeah, in general, NRL. Is pretty affordable. Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me because most of the NRL grounds, you know, except for you take you take like Brookvale Oval out of it, which is council owned, mm. but majority, especially in Sydney, uh, majority of NRL games are played at either ANZ Stadium uh, or now the Western Sydney Stadium, mm. which are both government owned, sure. big, big, um, big, giant 
well-funded things. Mm-hmm. Um, and their main priority is to get content for the yes. stadium rather than to make money off ticket sales. Yeah. I think the idea is to uh, obviously charge, they've worked it out, charge a certain price to get what they expect to be a minimum crowd mm. and then get them spending on other things. And I think is, is the business model for them. Yeah. So ticket prices is not where they're looking to get their, the other get side their money. Of, yeah, the other side of the coin is because the... In, in Australian rugby league, the, the TV money is so epic. Um, you know, clubs aren't too worried about gate takings. I mean, it's it's nice to have, but really, they're getting most. They get a huge, they get a huge payout from the NRL any uh, every year these days. Clubs would rather rate their socks off on TV than like they would sacrifice all the crowds for yeah. bumper TV ratings because you can transit those TV ratings into sponsorship dollars for exposure exactly right. and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, it was an interesting analysis to do. So thanks, Ian, for the thought. And, uh, you know, get in touch, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any other thoughts or any anything you want to correct me on there. So I think that's uh, that's done for the mailbag. Another epic mailbag. Close it up? Yeah, let's close it up. So right. you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, you know, on the email, PR, what is it? Uh, progressive. Ooh, I R- do not know. <laughs> Slug, insert email here. <laughs> ProgressiveRL <laughs> at Outlook.com. All right, after the mailbag comes Slugby Gal and me. We like what we see when it comes to French Canadian Rugby 13. Wonderful oh, stuff. Fantastic. All right. What you got? So, what I got? Ladies and gentlemen, the first installment of what we uh, teased out last week the Super Baby Cup. The Super Baby so Cup. So, that is London versus Catalans, the two darlings of the Super League for the, for the PRL family. Uh, they came to blows um, in more ways than one oh, a couple deep. of weeks ago. So, well, on Good Friday. Well, on Good Friday, yeah. Mm. So uh, London, absolute. Well, I'm going to say shellacking, but London got taught a rugby league lesson by Catalan, 39 points to six. Mm. So an unfortunate loss uh, in many ways. Not really much to take out of it for the London boys, although this is something my dad always said to me after years of watching Balmain, especially the late stages of the Balmain. <laughs> Uh, era, so yeah. we're talking like you know from like 1997 to 1999, their last years where yeah. they were pretty bad. They were hopeless. And I would listen to the radio, <laughs> listen to them uh, playing, you know, huge teams like St George, and think, oh, maybe they'll get it this time. <laughs> and my dad would always say, you know what? They crossed the line a couple of times, or they got close to the line. So it was they were played pretty well. They just couldn't convert it into yeah. points. And you know what? The same can be said of London in this game. They they crossed the line at least once. Mm-hmm. They got held up, and there was a couple of times where they were tackled, basically about thirty centimeters short of the line. Yeah. So it's not like they didn't almost. They got very close to scoring a try. I reckon they scored four hypothetical tries in that one. Yeah. Well. So I mean, and that really could have changed things for them. Um, I mean, the, I mean the Catalan. There was a bit of a. a an unfortunate incident in that game as well where Sam Mower took out Jordan Abdul of the London Broncos and he was uh, taken out of the game. So that was a bit unfortunate. And I think Catalan over the weekend, they were a bit unpopular with the neutrals uh, for that incident against London. And a bit of like, uh, there was a lot of talk about Catalan's milking of penalties well, on Monday's Kenny game. Edwards-inspired team is always going to be milking <laughs> penalties, right. aren't they? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple of silver linings for me. Uh, well, 33 points added to Catalan's points differential. Mm. So 20 more and they're in the positives. Yeah. And, you know, the points differential does mean things when it comes to the ladder. That's right. Um, there was one pretty progressive try from Catalan as well, at least one, yeah, uh, so. where there were lots of chucking it around Oof. and it was it was fast and, and, and free and it definitely entertained us. That's great. A couple of lowlights I have to point out. Catalan's taking the two. They took a penalty for two points at 36 to six. Mm. Like, come on, fellas. What's like, what are we about? here for? What, yeah. what are we here for? That's really not in the spirit of things. Uh, and then, of course, there was a fight in the first half, which, you know, that's, 
Come on, fellas. I think that was after the, uh, the taking out of Jordan yeah. Abdul. Now, I think I wonder if they will take the two. Because of the Easter period in the UK, they're playing two games within about 72 hours. I wonder if there's just a tactics, you know, saving themselves for the Monday game. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, when it happened... Did it work? I mean, well, they, scored, they won the game and they scored the, they, they kicked the goal. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess it worked, but still, it's not. Like, that's just not in the spirit of things, is it? And Did they win also, the Monday game? Uh, yeah, they won the Monday game yeah, as well. So. <laughs> Tactics. Um, all right, so should we stay with we'll stay with Catalan then? So obviously we'll record that as a, a Catalan win and a London loss, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so Catalan have won their second game uh, of the Easter weekend. So second game in a row mm. uh, uh, with a comprehensive 37-16 win over the Castleford Tigers. It's pretty big. Um, so it is pretty big, and Catalan were basically in front for the whole game. There was no, there was probably a sniff of a Tigers comeback at about 25-16, to 16. Um, but the Dragons, to their credit, kept going uh, to record the win. Um, Greg Bird scored an interesting try in this one, and it's not often that I'm going to highlight anything that Greg Bird does. Yeah. Uh, but in a defensive play, he did a one-on-one strip Oh, cool. um, on a castle player uh, didn't mean to I think he, he accidentally stripped the, stripped the ball about a metre away from the trial line and went through and scored and just fell so, over yeah line. so it was a uh, bit of a funny uh, funny thing to highlight for that game so there you go that's a second win in a row for Catalan London oh, oh. this now is loss number sixth in a row by my count please correct me if I'm wrong something like that yeah um, so this is losing to Huddlesfield 24 to 19 now you know when the score has a, a one in it, it usually means uh, things were pretty close and you were close to winning at some <laughs> point. Or, uh, you know, you, the game got away for you and you just kicked one for, yeah. for the fun of it. Unfortunately, I mean, both both results in that scenario are unfortunate. But this is a heartbreaking loss of the Broncos, who mm. probably thought they had it won at 19-18 when they kicked a field goal with six minutes to go. Um, and then, look, a try in, the, I think it was the second last minute, mm. uh, obviously sealed their fate, making meaning they lost the game. Um, and... What go back? I encourage everybody to go back and look at the highlights of this game. Yeah, if you can find them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the look of despair and like I don't know, just defeat on the team after that Huddersfield try really says a lot about mm. where the team probably is at the moment. And Jono, I'm worried. I'm officially worried about the baby London Broncos. And they were a bit unlucky in this game as well because, by all accounts, it is hard to find highlights of this game so so soon after the game but uh yes apparently they scored in the last second and it was disallowed and apparently it was it was a good shout for a try but they don't have video replays uh Mm. in these games so very unfortunate very unlucky but maybe they can take take a bit of solace out of the fact that they they competed and they really you know should have won they should have won um and they didn't so hopefully they can just take that in their stride and uh you know keep going because we just what we don't want for them is to lose their self-belief because if that's right there's only finite belief pie (laughs) they've got to make sure they grab their share now you're right though it's kind of like they they sort of surprised a few teams at the start of the year and and snuck away with a few wins but now teams are teams are ready and they're not gonna not gonna be suck it into a, a loss so they're gonna have to earn any victory from here it's gonna be tricky yeah where do they sit now man all right, so we're looking at Catalan on six, 14 points or plus eight in the relegation zone mm-hmm. uh, system. London, oh, last, last, or equal last, but on differential last, six yep. points, zero when zero. it comes to the relegation now, zone. Now, can we just shift this around a bit? I think Catalans, they really should be in the top five. So I wonder if we can use... Oh, yes, yes. we go plus or minus compared to the fifth place? Yeah, where they should be. So I think okay. they're, they're minus zero at the moment because they're equal fifth, but they're sixth on point differential. Yep. And so... They're minus zero, so maybe we should because points <laughs> differential is going to be is, is going to be, is going to be important in this. So maybe right. we should have two numbers: the yep. 
uh, points away from the zone and then the differential is keeping them away. Okay. So there'd be zero minus 29, I think. Yeah, minus 20, something, like, something that. like that. So, and London zero and, and like 100 or something. <laughs> whatever it is. They're going to have to win a few more games. What else yeah. you got for us, mate? Uh, so we'll look at the championship. There's been, uh, again, two rounds worth of championship games. I'm only going to focus on the latest results. Yep. Um, so Toronto have defeated Featherstone Rovers, 23-14. Another odd game with, like, with, a, with a field goal in yeah, there. Yeah, fantastic. So, like, it's just been, there's field goals all over the place. It's raining field goals. Even the, even the Tigers had a field goal in their game. I mean, it's Parramatta, <laughs> but still, there's just right. field goals going everywhere. Um, this is a gritty win. I'm going to call it a gritty win. Mm. Uncharacteristic uh, for most Wolfpack victories. So I think it's probably a good thing. For the yep. old Wolfpack, because what we don't want is them gliding through the championship, having uh, wins that aren't, I mean, you know, not really earned. It's mm. easy, uh, just so they're gonna, have, they need these wins that where they have to fight for it to That's right. keep them hungry and show them that it's, you know, it's it's not going to be easy. There's there's hard graph that needs to be done. Yeah, well, they were um, behind late in the game here, so they had to they had to come from behind and and take the lead, and then they scored a you know a match ceiling try late mm. on. So that meant it was a good weekend for Toronto. Two wins out of the four days. So. Yep. Quite and productive. I think next week is should be the uh, like the homecoming of the Wolfpack, where they get to it play is. a home game at Lamport Stadium That's for right. the first time this year, hosting Swinton. Yeah, now I, I, there's some odd reasons why they can't play earlier seasons game season games at home, and I think it's a mixture of weather and other teams having the stadium booked out, like the local. Yeah, it's it's. They, I think from all reports, I think I read this in a. I think a John Davison or a Steve Mascot article, uh, but yeah, it, they could definitely play probably in March in Toronto. Like the weather's like I don't know five ten degrees. You know, it's doable, mm. but I think it's something to do with the ground. They don't have access to it right. um, before, but that's going to have to. If they make it to Super League, they're going to have to sort something out. Mm, yeah. Mm. What about Toulouse? Toulouse. Well, Toulouse have scored a resounding victory uh, over Halifax, fifty-six to four. Oh. Well. So that's a, a Parramatta Tigers style <laughs> victory there. Uh, no field goals, unfortunately. Um, so this had one period of play. I think there was four tries in the first fifteen minutes at one point. In, wow. So that really set the tone. Um, some wonderful, uh, you know, progressive uh, rugby league there from the Toulouse boys, Jono. Well, I can't wait to see the highlights of this because a, it's always beautiful to watch plenty of Toulouse Olympic tries. But B, there's always a great soundtrack on the YouTube uh, highlights package. Well, I was watching, I was going through the Toulouse Olympic YouTube channel today, mm. and the soundtrack sounds quite intense. It is. It's yeah. very serious and like almost foreboding. <laughs> I think lighten it up, fellas. Come oh, okay. on. You've got some nice it. Parisian accordions in there. Yeah, or that's true. That's true. Now, that was a, a good bounce back for Toulouse Olympic because they, they succumbed to a shock 28 point loss on Good Friday at Sheffield Eagles. That was quite astonishing. So, um, quite a relief for Toulouse fans because we were getting worried there but they bounced back with a 50 point victory over you know generally a tough Halifax team mm. so you know good news and so talking ladder placings of course Toronto's on first place uh, first place with 20 points Toulouse second point second place on 16 points because of that large loss mm. that, that so that large win that sort of offset the large loss in terms of points differential yes. so they are sixth their second place below above Sheffield yeah. uh, had they not had that massive bounce back the BBF yeah uh, they might be sitting in third place. <laughs> what about Sheffield? I mean, I'd like our listeners to help me out because last year they were one of the have-nots. So last year it was a championship was the haves and the have-nots, and Sheffield were one of the have-nots. They won seven games from my reckoning. This year they've already won seven games. I'm not sure what's happened. 
if they've you know gone on a spending spree. I don't think they have. But Sheffield fans, right in, right in for a Sheffield fans. It's very on. impressive either way. Um, no games for the York City Knights women's team. Mm. Uh, but so their next game is on the twenty eighth of April against Wigan. Fantastic. So we'll have updates then. There was a, a game after the Catalan Castleford game. There was the the Catalan women's played the. Uh, the Castleford women's for some trophy. I think it was called her rugby league trophy, and the Castleford women's won the match by about fifty points. So. Well, the Castleford women's we we've already established are yeah. the team to beat. They're, That's right. There's something in the water in Castleford. Yeah. So I'd like to see actually the Catalan team play in the uh, UK Super League and women's. That that'd be good. Yeah. You know, why not? Why not? One day, hopefully soon. What else do we got? Uh, so for those that were paying attention to rugby league media across the weekend, we had the World Cup of Nines team announcements. That's exciting. So we've got these are the teams that are going to be participating in both the men's and women's tournaments. What so for the men's tournaments, we've got Australia, mm. New Zealand, England. Cool, of course. Love it. Uh, PNG, Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, Wales, Lebanon, the Cook Islands, and the USA. That's quite interesting. I mean, 12 teams, a good good mixture there. I mean, I know it's been played the 18th and 19th of October. So obviously someone like Scotland and Ireland, they're probably trying to qualify for the World Cup. Mm. Probably the same Italy. That's probably why a couple of the European teams... Uh, haven't been included. I wonder why Jamaica wasn't included. I mean, they've already qualified for the World Cup. I would mm-hmm. have liked to have seen Jamaica, but maybe there's a reason for that. Uh, but overall, it's pretty good. Yeah. I do know the the England team and the Wales team, I hope they, they pick a, a full-strength squad because they've got the, the Lions too, which I think starts the following week on the 26th with a test match against Tonga. But um, look, either or, it's pretty exciting to have like a 12-team international rugby league tournament whether it's you know, it's I mean, nines. The, the, obviously the only down. We don't want to focus on the the the, the downs, mm. but it's nines. Like yeah, it'd be great. It's still, I mean, it's pretty. It's and pretty it is going to be at the at the new stadium in West Sydney, Western Sydney Stadium. So yep. uh, I'll be there. I'll be. I think I'm going to be there I, for both days. Yeah, relishing in this. I reckon it'll be a great atmosphere. Moment. It's yeah. going to be a great event. It's going to be great. And on the women for the women's tournament, Australia, New Zealand, England, and PNG. Fabulous. So uh, it's it's wonderful to have the tournament officially going ahead and to have those teams confirmed as participants uh you know something to forward something to look forward to post-season and did you know that uh, the cook islands are playing south africa that was this was announced during the week as a world cup qualifier uh that's going to be played i think in june 21st i believe in sydney and the winner will play the uf the usa for a place in the world cup obviously the usa lost late last year to Jamaica. Mm. Jamaica made it through. So this is kind of a repercharge game for the USA. They'll have to beat either Cook Islands or South Africa to make the World Cup. Jeez, that'll be a good game. I think it will be. Yeah. That's in Sydney. Broadcast details? Ooh, TBC. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also, I forgot to mention earlier, we have uh, an interview at the end of the show with Nigerian uh, cha- uh, Vice Chairman of the Nigerian Rugby League, Ade- Adebisi, uh, who tells us about what's going to happen in October for the Middle East Africa Championship, so stay tuned for that. Okay, that's a no, that's a great update you've just given us. Oh, well, well done, thank you've you. outdone yourself an Easter <laughs> treat. Okay, it's time for our progressive moments of the week. What you got? So, along with fantastic games across the Easter long weekend uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, the Super League crowds. This was the the Super League crowd set an attendance record mm. for the Super League across uh, the Easter round. So we had nearly eighty thousand fans attending across the games, uh, highlighted by twenty thousand for uh, twenty thousand plus for mm-hmm. Wigan St Helens, and the same for the Hull Derby, Hull KR versus Hull FC. 
Fantastic. Uh, also had 12k, 12,000 people for Warrington versus Salford, which is a record for a Warrington versus Salford game. Is that right? Um, and I think it just says a lot about that theory, or that theory, that saying, the right game at the right time. Yeah. And when people have the time to enjoy these things, um, they'll go. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't have official numbers for what happened uh, on the NRL side, but I think this this weekend compared to the same time last year was also up. I think it was, yeah. And um, haven't got official figures, unfortunately, but uh, I think anything that says the Super League is doing well and is growing and um, people are engaging with it is great news to me. Look, it's a very important year for the Super League because they've got obviously a TV deal coming up and they really need to, mm. you know, at least get the same money of what they're getting now. People are worried they're going to get less. I mean, what they what they need to do is get every game televised somehow, even if you give, a, give away the rest yeah. of them. To a hopefully a free to wear a terrestrial network, it needs more exposure. Yep. Don't play the games at the same time. Stagger them. Yep. You know, get them televised. Get people interested in the narrative of the weekend. That's uh, hopefully that will happen. The narrative of the weekend. The narrative of the weekend. Uh, so that's a great that's a great moment. It was really good for the Super League. I think uh, the Monday crowds were slightly lower than the Monday from last year, but overall the Easter period was well up. Yep. So very positive. My progressive moment of the week. Yeah, it goes back to the Western Sydney Stadium experience that you had. And it's great to see, you know, sometimes with new stadiums, people are treating it with kick gloves. But at the end of the game, it's great to see just an outpouring of fun. Lots of fun. (laughs) People pouring onto the field. I saw Mm. photos of it. You you were there, obviously. You can tell me a bit about it. But it just looked like a joyous occasion. Yeah. People just enjoying rugby league. Obviously, the Parramatta fans were just Mm. in a great mood and they just wanted to kick the ball around it, experience a new stadium, you know, something tangible, not just like sitting there watching it, but actually having that tangible experience, being able to get onto the ground, feel the grass under your feet, and just look around from ground level up to those great, fantastic yeah. stands. It must have been yeah. something special. I was really surprised. Like, I didn't know they were going to let the fans onto the field. Mm. I was surprised that, that that happened, but again, really, really happy. And I think this all goes back to Sydney has now realised, probably about 30 years mm-hmm later than it should have that you've got to give people a reason to be there yeah um you've got to you know if you if you it's hard to get there if it's if it's difficult to get there with transport and it's expensive and all the food's expensive and there's too many lines and then you you're basically told to go away if you get close to everything (laughs) you you need to embrace people and give them what they want yeah and that's just all part of the game day experience like you don't get that on tv no that's right that's one of the key reasons why you want to go there if if i was like as a kid all i wanted to do was run on the field and i was never allowed to yeah um even now every now and then they let fans onto Leichhardt oval (laughs) (laughs) run 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 around and push everybody out of the way me 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 it's just it's it's great i I hope they do it after every game or at least a couple of times throughout the season because it was it's great and that stadium uh, I didn't stick around to go onto the field. I uh, regret that. I regret that. <laughs> when the Tigers have their first home game, if they are doing that, I'll definitely be on there because I would love to see what that. It's 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 a cathedral yeah. to football, um, and it would in the same way a cathedral to a, to rectangular sports, which the city has just not really ever had. Yeah, it's all built to make sure you get the best view and you have the best time possible. Yeah, I'm looking and forward to it. And it's about time. You know, Sydney had that attitude. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out myself. Okay, well, that was a, a nice show. Thanks for your 
Thanks for your company, Big Al. Oh, thank you, John. <laughs> now, like I said, stay tuned for an interview with Ade Adebisi from the Nigerian Rugby League. Apologies in advance for the sound quality. He had a, he had a, we had a tough line there. He was actually calling in from hospital. Um, so really appreciate his time there. That so, is dedication to your sport yeah, and your craft. So we had a good half an hour chat, but unfortunately I had to cut a bit out because the line was, was coming in and out. So apologies in advance for that. But some interesting stuff from Ade talking about the Middle East Africa Championship that's being hosted in Nigeria, Lagos, in October. So, thank you, but until next week, see ya. See ya. In Rugby League We Trust. Okay, it's time for another edition of Grounds for Optimism, where we take listeners to a part of the rugby league world they may never have or never will visit. Uh, This time we're heading to Nigeria via the UK to talk to Ade Adebisi, a former Whitehaven and London scholar and current vice chairman and general manager of Nigeria Rugby League. Ade, hello and welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Yeah, how are you doing? Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no no problem. Thanks for coming on. Now, I thought we'd start off uh, just by getting to know you a bit. So I wonder if you could tell us the the Ade Adebisi story. Uh, Can you give us an insight into your upbringing and and how you got into rugby league? I grew up in in, in London. Yeah. And um, obviously it's all rugby union. But like my teacher um, was from Bradford. Uh, The school had ever played like maybe two rugby games and that's what what I was involved in that. So he was determined to sort of get me into, you know, he saw about my physical um, attributes as a a sprinter. um, His name was Andy Hurst. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me, I think, yeah, he brought me in and tried to give me the opportunities and, um, you know, went out his way. Fantastic. Now, you've mentioned in other articles I've read about you that the Rugby League saved you. Uh, can you expand on that? How did how did Rugby League save you? Well, um, I have a condition um, called sickle cell. And, you know, um, it's, um, for me, because of Rugby League and, you know, the, the determination and the training that um, I've had, know from a young age you know it's it's helped me cope and you know with my condition um you know like there's people in africa uh, and you know especially in nigeria dying by the numbers no um, education currently in hospital you know because of the um, Mm. condition um you know it's you know it's a very uh, yeah, that's right. You, you, you're talking to us um, today uh, from a hospital, so thank you very much for taking the time out um, to talk to us while you're, you're at hospital. How did this push to get rugby league in Nigeria going? How did it start? Uh, what well, me five years now, and, uh, and basically, I, I went to Nigeria and, and, and you know I met Martin Crawford, and you know we you know we spoke about it. And you know, like, look, we can start rugby league here. You know, um, like I said, I know that like, look. Rugby League International, they're a bit more aggressive with developments than the probably rugby union that currently in Nigeria. Yeah. And, and I said, yeah, I said to him, like, if we can get things um, sorted, you know, they will give us the support. And you know, that's you know, we we, we spoke about it when I when I was there, and I was like, one, you know, we asked the panel and to meet him, and from there it was just. Regional director for the Middle East Africa. He told us what we needed to do, and literally, I have, I have, I have thought, you know, when he told me all of this, it will be done in six months. <laughs> <laughs> it took them literally two years. Yeah. You know, work. You know, just the, 
man who had to fight a lot of people, explain the difference between rugby union and rugby league. Yeah. So, we, you know, try and convince someone that, that you know, who only knows rugby league, you know, sorry, rugby union, they've never heard of rugby league, they didn't know anything, they just thought we were coming, you know, trying to be disruptive and wanted to start our own rugby union federation or something. No, it, it's, it's creative. It was, it was a tough, tough, it was a tough ask. And, um, and I think that's what, we, you know, speaking to um, some people here in the UK, you know, that's what the other nations that, um, are going through. They actually never get um, accredited, most of, most of them. So they were surprised when we got accredited, you know, by yeah. the Nigerian Olympic Committee, so which was one of the, you know, the yeah. highest sports ministries. Mm. So it's, you know, uh, they were shocked, um, but like we, we know, was thinking outside the box. You know, we took, um, I took my iPad and you know, showed them the difference. You know, and I would just like to point out, you know, before we go, you know, Raymond Savvy um, has been um, the rock. You know, he got us where we are now. Right. Um, and I, I personally think he does not get enough credit. You look, we Nigeria was believed, and they're not even gone a year. And we're hosting, you know, what's possibly the biggest Middle Eastern Africa Championship. Mm. And, you know, and if you think about it, what other, what other championships would be equal are televised? That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And, and while we're on that, so as you mentioned, Nigeria's been chosen as the, the host of the Middle East Africa Championship in October this year. Um, can you give us a, uh, an idea of what your plans are for that event? Uh, obviously, you're playing it in a big stadium, we've got some TV, you've got four nations there, so what are the plans for the, the event? This is the biggest uh, event Middle, uh, Middle East and Africa of the sea of the league-wise, um, and we just wanna, we want people to know about that. And, you know, like I said, we, you know, our plan is to show it on three different platforms, on satellite TV, uh, yeah. on Nigeria local TV, and also um, on, on, on the internet. Yeah. So Nigeria alone probably could get, what, let's say minimum 10 million people watching it, because there's like, two, um, like say 200 million people mm. um, in Nigeria itself. Um, the, the, we have super sports, it was all over Africa, South Africa, every, everywhere. So yeah. I reckon maybe potential with that, maybe 20 million. Mm-hmm. 15 million. Um, these are not um, set in stone numbers. This is just, yeah, yeah. I guess, the, the, from what the research I've done. And then obviously we have the online, because the online platform is going to be set through all the nations competing and also um, and Europe, Australia, everywhere. Mm. So I'm, I'm not sure we know what we could get with that. So potentially as well, outside the World Cup, this probably could be the most um, what's going to be event outside well, the World Cup as well. I tell you, we'll, we'll definitely be watching it. Now, can you can you tell us um, what stadium is it being played at? Because I understand it's a is it a ten thousand seater that you've booked it for? Yeah, ten thousand seater. Um, Balogun. So um, they're just basically redoing uh, the field right now for. Um, for international football. Yeah. So, so it's the home of a of a of a football team, a local football team. Is that right? Normally. Yep. So that stadium is the 
beginning on by the government, something like they have like um, what they're trying to do is basically build it to the standard where the Nigerian national team can play there. Okay. They're revamping it, so it's just going to be ready for um, for our uh, MEA Cup in October. Yeah. You know, which is brilliant. You know, so the field will be good. You know, that, that's all. That's all we need. You know, good field and and obviously players coming from Australia and, and, and England that. You know they're going to come on the field that they're probably used to. Mm. You know, playing back home. Now, I, I did the 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 tournament consists of four teams: Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, and Morocco. Um, who would be favourite in that competition? How developed are the other nations? I know I know there's three three nations making their debut essentially. So, what do you expect in terms of performance from each team? Um, not being biased here, I'm always going to say Nigeria, <laughs> but from uh, yeah, but from um, from Raymond and uh, you know some other people, mm-hmm. it's all and this is going up by the training um, that they've seen and uh, and obviously the leagues that have started because obviously we have to have local players mm. involved, so it's not just the, our international players. Yeah. So just just going off that. And in your, in, in in the nation that are probably ahead, you know, Nigeria is probably down in the pecking order that way, right? Yeah, because obviously our our league is just going to be started what in about a month. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, or like Morocco, you know, will be there. Cameroon will be there. Ghana will be there. Because they've all played, you know, um, rugby league before. But bearing in mind, you know, all all our guys have played before league rugby union. So mm-hmm. we're just converting these guys. Uh, the rulings, I mean, here it is. We have to have 10 players of local um, league guys playing, playing on the field at any one time. Okay. So the rest being um, our international boys. So, um, you know, that's where I come from. You know, our international boys probably bring it back for us mm-hmm. because they are probably, I'm not sure, I can't say what the other teams have, but I know. Our boys are doing great things, and um, you know, for the individual teams. Absolutely. Um, Will Sharp, Will Sharp for Halifax has been player of the month two months, you know, two months in a row. You know, Rob Warrenty, um, Fire of the month, Jason Combat, man of the match, just his second NRL game. Yeah, he's been brilliant. Because he's scoring the win, because he's scoring the win try for um, for Castleford. Mm. So look, that's what gives me um, the hope that look, these boys. Um, yes, our players haven't played um, rugby, um, local players haven't played rugby league all their lives, but that's all part of our local game. You know, the UK and Australian players, you know, will help them on the day, and you know, we'll, you know, that's what makes us uh, yeah. favourite, if not um, with Cameroon, I reckon, or, or Morocco, sorry, because of these athletes we have. You know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty have. interesting. You mentioned before about your plans for a Nigerian Rugby League domestic competition. So which parts of Nigeria will the teams come from and where will the majority of the players come from? Yeah, so the players, um, uh, there's going to be uh, the north and southwest. So Lagos, mm-hmm. um, you know, we hope some of the players will come from Lagos. I know like uh, Martin, Martin Crawford um, has... You know, exceptional players. Mm. There are, you know, these players within a year, um, they can play in the championship level in the UK. Yeah, right. 
no, no, that's how I think. You know, they are good players. Yeah. And they're strong. They're tall. They're fast. So, and coach properly. And Martin has done well from um, what he can do. So, I think um, some of the players will come from Cano as well. As some of the players will come from Lagos. Okay. So, um... Now, are they, um, just finish off, obviously Nigeria is a very diverse country. Do you see rugby league being played by a broad cross-section of Nigerian society in the future or will we be focused in, in sort of those areas that you mentioned in Lagos and the, the northeast or, or just one group of Nigerian society? Um, no, no, um, no um, just South South, like um, the Delta State. Right now, Akwai Bong, you know, they have the best stadium in Nigeria. Sounds like the sky's the limit there for a Nigerian rugby league idea. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's brilliant. So, and and that's pretty much all we have time for today, out there. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. You know, joining us from hospital and, and taking the time to to talk to us today. Now, it sounds like really exciting things happen with Nigerian rugby league. So, all the best with it over the next year or so, and all the best with your ambassadorship uh, for sickle cell awareness as well. 